to the Underclass Podcast with Austin Picard. I'm an independent researcher who can't stomach being lied to on a daily basis by the mainstream media. While we live in a fracturing society launched into parallel realities, falling perfectly onto the two sides of the political spectrum, I remain in the underclass. Imagine a world where the people have been conditioned to facilitate their own oppression. An Orwellian society, where the trap of convenience has been convincingly laid only to usher in the all-powerful totalitarian technocratic state. A discouraging perspective version of reality, describing the largest open-air prison in human history, where the shackles of enslavement have been restructured, modernized, and digitized. As Aldous Huxley once said in Brave New World, Most men and women will grow up to love their servitude and will never dream of revolution. In today's episode, we defiantly reject our prior programming and revolt against the tyrannical nature of the mass surveillance state with the primary goal of unmasking the covert agenda clearly pursued by the most prominent big tech companies in Silicon Valley. By exposing the significant overlap between the highest levels of military intelligence and the elite controllers in Silicon Valley, it becomes quite clear that the emerging systems and technologies over the years have almost always been a direct result of military applications. The implications are all pervasive, pointing to inextricable connections between the U.S. military-industrial complex and modern-day social media platforms, as well as search engines being weaponized as a mechanism to fight a global information war. Our priority is to outline the real truth behind the origin story of two of the most important companies in the modern age. According to journalist Nafiz Ahmed, in an article at Medium from January 2015, the linchpin of this story is the corporation that in many ways defines the 21st century with its unobtrusive omnipresence, Google. Google styles itself as a friendly, funky, user-friendly tech firm that rose to prominence through a combination of skill, luck, and genuine innovation. This is true, but it is a mere fragment of the story. In reality, Google is a smokescreen behind which lurks the U.S. military-industrial complex. The inside story of Google's rise opens a can of worms that goes far beyond Google, unexpectedly shining a light on the existence of a parasitical network driving the evolution of the U.S. national security apparatus and profiting obscenely from its operation. In 1999, the CIA created its own venture capital investment firm, InQtel to fund promising startups that might create technologies useful for intelligence agencies. But the inspiration for NQTEL came earlier, when the Pentagon set up its own private sector outfit, known as the Highlands Forum. This private network has operated as a bridge between the Pentagon and powerful American elites outside the military since the mid-1990s. Despite changes in civilian administrations, The network around the Highlands Forum has become increasingly successful in dominating U.S. defense policy. Giant defense contractors like Booz Allen Hamilton and Science Applications International Corporation are sometimes referred to as the shadow intelligence community due to the revolving doors between them and government and their capacity to simultaneously influence and profit from defense policy. But while these contractors compete for power and money, they also collaborate where it counts. The Highlands Forum has for 20 years provided an off-the-record space for some of the most prominent members of the shadow intelligence community to convene with senior U.S. government officials alongside other leaders in relevant industries. The Highlands Forum doesn't need to produce consensus recommendations. Its purpose is to provide the Pentagon a shadow social networking mechanism to cement lasting relationships with corporate power 
and to identify new talent that can be used to fine-tune information warfare strategies in absolute secrecy. Total participants in the DOD's Highlands Forum number over a thousand. Although sessions largely consist of small closed workshop-style gatherings of maximum 25 to 30 people, bringing together experts and officials depending on the subject. Delegates have included senior personnel from SAIC, Booz Allen Hamilton, RAND Corporation, Cisco, Human Genome Sciences, eBay, PayPal, IBM, Google, Microsoft, AT&T, the BBC, Disney, General Electric, Enron, among innumerable others, Democrat and Republican members of Congress and the Senate, senior executives from the U.S. energy industry such as Daniel Jurgen of IHS Cambridge Energy Research Associates, and key people involved in both sides of presidential campaigns. Other participants have included senior media professionals David Ignatius, associate editor of the Washington Post and at the time the executive editor of the International Herald Tribune, Thomas Friedman, longtime New York Times columnist, Arnaud de Borchgrave, an editor at Washington Times and United Press International, Stephen Levy, a former Newsweek editor, senior writer for Wired and now chief tech editor at Medium, Lawrence Wright, staff writer at The New Yorker, Noah Sheishman, executive editor at The Daily Beast, Rebecca McKinnon, co-founder of Global Voices Online, Nick Gowing of the BBC, and John Markoff of the New York Times. Due to its current sponsorship by the OSD's Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, the forum has inside access to the chiefs of the main U.S. surveillance and reconnaissance agencies, as well as the directors and their assistants at DOD research agencies from DARPA to the ONA. This also means that the forum is deeply plugged in to the Pentagon's policy research task forces. In 1994, the same year the Highlands Forum was founded under the stewardship of the Office of the Secretary of Defense, the ONA, and DARPA, two young PhD students at Stanford University, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, made their breakthrough on the first automated web crawling and page ranking application. That application remains the core component of what eventually became Google's search service. Bren and Page had performed their work with funding from the Digital Library Initiative, DLI, a multi-agency program of the National Science Foundation, NASA, and DARPA. That's just one side of the story. Throughout the development of the search engine, Sergey Brin reported regularly and directly to two people who were not Stanford faculty at all, Dr. Bhavani Teraisingham and Dr. Rick Steinheiser. Both were representatives of a sensitive U.S. intelligence community research program on information security and data mining. Teraisingham is currently the Lewis A. Beecherl Distinguished Professor and Executive Director of the Cybersecurity Research Institute at the University of Texas in Dallas, and a sought-after expert on data mining, data management, and information security issues. But in the 1990s, she worked for the Meter Corp., a leading U.S. defense contractor, where she managed the Massive Digital Data Systems Initiative, a project sponsored by the NSA, CIA, and the Director of Central Intelligence to foster innovative research in information technology. In an extraordinary document hosted by the website of the University of Texas, Teraisingham recounts that from 1993 to 1999, the intelligence community started a program called Massive Digital Data Systems that I was managing for the IC when I was at the Meter Corporation. The program funded 15 research efforts at various universities, including Stanford. Its goal was developing data management technologies to manage several terabytes to petabytes of data, including for query processing, transaction management, metadata management, storage management, and data integration. At the time, Teraisingham was chief scientist for data and information management at METER, where she led team research and development efforts for the NSA, CIA, U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory, 
as well as the U.S. Navy's Space and Naval Warfare Systems Command and Communications and Electronic Command. She went on to teach courses for U.S. government officials and defense contractors on data mining and counterterrorism. In her University of Texas article, she attaches the copy of an abstract of the U.S. Intelligence Community's MDDS program that had been presented to the annual Intelligence Community Symposium in 1995. The abstract reveals that the primary sponsors of the MDDS program were three agencies, the NSA, the CIA's Office of Research and Development, and the Intelligence Community's Community Management Staff, CMS, which operates under the Director of Central Intelligence. Administrators of the program which provided funding of around 3 to $4 million per year for three to four years, were identified as Hal Curran, NSA, Robert Klutz, CMS, Dr. Claudia Pierce, NSA, Dr. Rick Steinheiser, ORD, standing for the CIA's Office of Research and Development, and Dr. Teresingham herself. Teresingham goes on in her article to reiterate that this joint CIA-NSA program partly funded Sergey Brin to develop the core of Google through a grant to Stanford, managed by Brin's supervisor, Professor Jeffrey D. Ullman. In other words, the provisions of MDDS funding to Brin through Ullman under the oversight of Teresingham and Steinheiser was fundamentally because they recognized the potential utility of Brin's work developing Google to the Pentagon intelligence community and the federal government at large. The MDDS program is actually referenced in several papers co-authored by Bryn and Page while at Stanford, specifically highlighting its role in financially sponsoring Bryn in the development of Google. In their 1998 paper, published in the Bulletin of the IEEE Computer Society Technical Committee on Data Engineering, they described the automation of methods to extract information from the web via dual interactive pattern relation extraction, the development of a global ranking of web pages called PageRank, and the use of PageRank to develop a novel search engine called Google. Through an opening footnote, Sergey Brin confirms he was partially supported by the community management staff's Massive Digital Data Systems Program, NSF Grant, IRI-96-31952, confirming that Bryn's work developing Google was indeed partly funded by the CIA NSA MDDS program. This NSF grant, identified alongside the MDDS, whose project report lists Bryn among the students supported, was different to the NSF grant to Larry Page that included funding from DARPA and NASA. The project report, authored by Bryn's supervisor, Professor Ullman, goes on to say under the section Indications of Success that there are some new stories of startups based on NSF-supported research. Under Project Impact, the report remarks, Finally, the Google project has also gone commercial, as Google.com. Teresingham's account, including her new amended version, therefore demonstrates that the CIA-NSA-MDDS program was not only partly funding Bryn throughout his work with Larry Page developing Google, but that senior U.S. intelligence representatives, including a CIA official, oversaw the evolution of Google in this pre-launch phase all the way until the company was ready to be officially founded. Google then had been enabled with a significant amount of seed funding and oversight from the Pentagon, namely the CIA, NSA, and DARPA. By 1997, Reisingham reveals shortly before Google became incorporated and while she was still overseeing the development of its search engine software at Stanford, her thoughts turned to the national security applications of the MDDS program. In the acknowledgments to her book, Web Data Mining and Applications in Business, Intelligence, and Counterterrorism, Teresingham writes that she and Dr. Rick Steinheiser of the CIA began discussions with Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency on applying data mining for counterterrorism. 
an idea that resulted directly from the MDDS program, which partly funded Google. These discussions eventually developed into the current EELD Evidence Extraction and Link Detection Program at DARPA. So the very same senior CIA official and CIA NSA contractor involved in providing the seed funding for Google were simultaneously contemplating the role of data mining for counterterrorism purposes and were developing ideas for tools actually advanced by DARPA. Consider the implications of controlling and operating undoubtedly the largest and most used search engine in the world since the rollout of the internet. Its popularity has been undeniable, as it's still being ranked as the number one top search engine in the world by far, with over 85% of the search engine market share, as well as capturing almost 95% of mobile traffic. Also keep in mind, Google's algorithm aims to fulfill users' needs directly on Google, so the user doesn't have to click any links, significantly lowering independent website traffic. The result has been a deliberate control of information operation pointing to Google, playing a significant role in compromising the natural flow of information online through manipulating search results. Business Insider reported that Google's ubiquitous search engine, Google Search, is the backbone of the tech giant's business. In many ways, Google Search is the backbone of the modern internet the way much of the web is sorted, organized, and located. Given how crucial it is to daily internet use for billions of people around the world, it's a particularly ripe target for manipulation. Google denies doing as much and insists that Google search is built on algorithms and data gleaned from use, but a new Wall Street Journal investigation found that Google manipulated search algorithms in some worrying ways including prioritizing large businesses over smaller ones, removing autocomplete results that involve sensitive topics like immigration and abortion, and even outright blacklisting some websites. Reception becomes reality, as they say, and for much of the population, carefully curated search results are all it would take to successfully convince them of the current paradigm they are intended to enthusiastically embrace. According to the official narrative, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, known as DARPA, is a research and development agency of the United States Department of Defense responsible for the development of emerging technologies for use by the military. Originally known as the Advanced Research Projects Agency, ARPA, the agency was created on February 7, 1958, by President Dwight D. Eisenhower in response to the Soviet launching of Sputnik 1 in 1957. By collaborating with academia, industry, and government partners, DARPA formulates and executes research and development projects to expand the frontiers of technology and science, often beyond immediate U.S. military requirements. The Economist has called DARPA the agency that shaped the modern world and said that Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine sits alongside weather satellites, GPS, drones, stealth technology, voice interfaces, the personal computer, and the internet on the list of innovations for which DARPA can claim at least partial credit. Of course, they don't even mention the fun stuff, like directed energy weapons, weather modification, the systems-based neurotechnology for emerging therapies program, which has been pitched by DARPA as a brain implant to help soldiers struggling with PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, anxiety, substance abuse, etc. They even created insect cyborgs in DARPA's HIMIMS program by developing tightly coupled machine insect interfaces and placing micro-mechanical systems inside the insects during the early stages of metamorphosis. The ecologist reported as far back as 2008, rarely acknowledged in the debate on global climate change, the world's weather can now be modified as part of a new generation of sophisticated electromagnetic weapons. Both the U.S. and Russia have developed capabilities to manipulate the climate for military use. Environmental modification techniques have been applied by the U.S. military for more than half a century. 
U.S. mathematician John von Neumann, in liaison with the U.S. Department of Defense, started his research on weather modification in the late 1940s at the height of the Cold War and foresaw forms of climatic warfare as yet unimagined. During the Vietnam War, cloud seeding techniques were used starting in 1967 under Project Popeye, the objective of which was to prolong the monsoon season and block enemy supply routes along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. The U.S. military has developed advanced capabilities that enable it selectively to alter weather patterns. The technology which is being perfected under the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, ARP, is an appendage of the strategic defense initiative, Star Wars. From a military standpoint, ARP is a weapon of mass destruction operating from the outer atmosphere and capable of destabilizing agricultural and ecological systems around the world. Weather modification, according to the U.S. Air Force, document AF-2025 final report, offers the warfighter a wide range of possible options to defeat or coerce an adversary. Capabilities, it says extend to the triggering of floods, hurricanes, droughts, and earthquakes, weather modification will become a part of domestic and international security and could be done unilaterally. It could have offensive and defensive applications and even be used for deterrence purposes. The ability to generate precipitation, fog, and storms, or to modify space weather and the production of artificial weather all are a part of an integrated set of military technologies. DARPA perfectly represents the appetite for control possessed by the state, or what's been referred to as the octopus of global control, with far-reaching tentacles stretched all across the world. Now before I spend the rest of the episode talking about weather modification research, we should pivot back to our main priority today, which is to establish that the rise of social media giants such as Facebook and Twitter wasn't all that natural. The origin stories we are intended to believe are as usual almost entirely fiction, lending credibility to the manufactured myths. In order to properly introduce the subject of our final chapter, we pull from an Associated Press article written June 3, 2003 with the title Pentagon's Super Diary Project could put powerful software in private hands. Pentagon documents state that the goal of the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency's BARPA LifeLog Project is to develop software that deduces behavioral patterns from monitoring people's daily activities, and DARPA officials say the initiative could be used to improve military training as well as the memory of military commanders. LifeLog volunteers would be equipped with cameras, sensors, and microphones to record everything they feel, everything they do, and everywhere they go. The research is not classified, which means that LifeLog software could eventually be made available to private companies. According to the Pentagon documents, the LifeLog software would not just file geophysical and vital readings, but also emails, instant messages, phone calls, voicemails, snail mail, faxes, and web-based transactions, as well as links to every radio and TV broadcast the subject hears and every publication, website, or database he or she sees. The Center for Government and Technology's James X. Dempsey is concerned that such a tool could impact privacy. He notes that the government can easily get hold of the voluntarily collected information with a search warrant, as well as take such data from third parties via request or subpoena. There are also unanswered questions about how data culled from LifeLog software would be interpreted by government agencies and private organizations not to mention whether the system will include adequate safeguards to shield Americans from errors. DARPA insists that LifeLog will not be used for clandestine surveillance, and the agency's Jan Walker says there is no relationship between LifeLog and the Pentagon's Terrorism Information Awareness Project. 
DARPA's LifeLog project and the Pentagon's TIA, which originally stood for Total Information Awareness before being renamed under the guise of combating the emerging threat of global terrorism, received significant criticism in the early 2000s post-9-11 from many different mainstream publications over their strategic goals being based on the concept of predictive policing. Senator Ron Wyden called the TIA the biggest surveillance program in the history of the United States, and Admiral John Poindexter called it a Manhattan Project for Counterterrorism. The TIA helped facilitate the creation of what was called the Human ID Project, which developed automated biometric identification technologies to detect, recognize, and identify humans at great distances for forced protection, crime prevention, and homeland security and defense purposes. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, it's only the exact plot of the science fiction movie Minority Report. Ultimately, we rely on one of the most brilliant journalists working today in Whitney Webb, who publishes her work at the site Unlimited Hangout and wrote an article in April 2021 she called The Military Origins of Facebook, where she makes the case that in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks, DARPA, in close collaboration with the U.S. intelligence community, specifically the CIA, began developing a pre-crime approach to combating terrorism known as Total Information Awareness, or TIA. The purpose of TIA was to develop an all-seeing military surveillance apparatus. The official logic behind TIA was that invasive surveillance of the entire U.S. population was necessary to prevent terrorist attacks, bioterrorism events, and even naturally occurring disease outbreaks. The architect of TIA and the man who led it during its relatively brief existence was John Poindexter, best known for being Ronald Reagan's national security advisor during the Iran-Contra affair and for being convicted of five felonies in relation to that scandal. A less well-known activity of Iran-Contra figures like Poindexter and Oliver North was their development of the main core database to be used in continuity of government protocols. Main core was used to compile a list of U.S. dissidents and potential troublemakers to be dealt with if the COG protocols were ever invoked. These protocols could be invoked for a variety of reasons, including widespread public opposition to a U.S. military intervention abroad, widespread internal dissent, or a vaguely defined moment of national crisis or time of panic. Americans were not informed if their name was placed on the list, and a person could be added to the list for merely having attended a protest in the past, for failing to pay taxes, or for other often trivial behaviors deemed unfriendly by its architects in the Reagan administration. In light of this, it was no exaggeration when New York Times columnist William Sapphire remarked that with TIA, Poindexter is now realizing his 20-year dream, getting the data mining power to snoop on every public and private act of every American. The TIA program was met with considerable citizen outrage after it was revealed to the public in early 2003. TIA's critics included the American Civil Liberties Union, which claimed that their surveillance effort would kill privacy in America because every aspect of our lives would be cataloged, while several mainstream media outlets warned that TIA was fighting terror by terrifying U.S. citizens. As a result of the pressure, DARPA changed the program's name to Terrorist Information Awareness to make it sound less like a national security panopticon and more like a program aiming specifically at terrorists in the post-9-11 era. The TIA projects were not actually closed down, however, with most moved to the classified portfolios of the Pentagon and U.S. intelligence community some became intelligence-funded and guided private sector endeavors, such as Peter Thiel's Palantir, 
while others resurfaced years later under the guise of combating the COVID-19 crisis. Soon after TIA was initiated, a similar DARPA program was taking shape under the direction of a close friend of Poindexter's, DARPA program manager Douglas Gage. Gage's project, LifeLog, sought to build a database tracking a person's entire existence that included an individual's relationships and communications, their media consumption habits, their purchases, and much more in order to build a digital record of everything an individual says, sees, or does. LifeLog would then take this unstructured data and organize it into discrete episodes or snapshots while also mapping out relationships, memories, events, and experiences. LifeLog, her gauge and supporters of the program, would create a permanent and searchable electronic diary of a person's entire life, which DARPA argued could be used to create next-generation digital assistance and offer users a near-perfect digital memory. Gage insisted, even after the program was shut down, that individuals would have had complete control of their own data collection efforts as they could decide when to turn the sensors on or off and decide who will share the data. In the years since then, analogous promises of user control have been made by the tech giants of Silicon Valley only to be broken repeatedly for profit and to feed the government's domestic surveillance apparatus. The information that LifeLog gleaned from an individual's every interaction with technology would be combined with information obtained from a GPS transmitter that tracked and documented the person's location, audiovisual sensors that recorded what the person saw and said, as well as biomedical monitors that gauged the person's health. Like TIA, LifeLog was promoted by DARPA as potentially supporting medical research and the early detection of an emerging epidemic. Critics in mainstream media outlets and elsewhere were quick to point out that the program would inevitably be used to build profiles on dissidents as well as suspected terrorists. Combined with TIA's surveillance of individuals at multiple levels, LifeLog went farther by adding physical information like how we feel and media data like what we read to this transactional data. One critic, Li Tian, of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, warned at the time that the programs that DARPA was pursuing, including LifeLog, have obvious easy paths to homeland security deployments. At the time, DARPA publicly insisted that LifeLog and TIA were not connected, despite their obvious parallels, and that LifeLog would not be used for clandestine surveillance. However, DARPA's own documentation on LifeLog noted that the project will be able to infer the user's routines, habits, and relationships with other people, organizations, places, and objects, and to exploit these patterns to ease its task, which acknowledged its potential use as a tool of mass surveillance. In addition to the ability to profile potential enemies of the state, LifeLog had another goal that was arguably more important to the national security state and its academic partners, the humanization and advancement of artificial intelligence. In late 2002, just months prior to announcing the existence of LifeLog, DARPA released a strategy document detailing development of artificial intelligence by feeding it with massive floods of data from various sources. The post-9-11 military surveillance projects, LifeLog and TIA being only two of them, offered quantities of data that had previously been unthinkable to obtain and that could potentially hold the key to achieving the hypothesized technological singularity. The 2002 DARPA document even discusses DARPA's effort to create a brain-machine interface that would feed human thoughts directly into machines to advance AI by keeping it constantly awash in freshly mined data. One of the projects outlined by DARPA, the Cognitive Computing Initiative, sought to develop sophisticated artificial intelligence through the creation of an enduring personalized cognitive assistant, later termed the perceptive assistant that learns, 
or P-A-L. PAL, from the very beginning, was tied to LifeLog, which was originally intended to result in granting an AI assistant human-like decision-making and comprehension abilities by spinning masses of unstructured data into narrative format. The would-be main researchers for the LifeLog project also reflect the program's end goal of creating humanized AI. For instance, Howard Schrobe at the MIT Artificial Intelligence Laboratory and his team at the time were set to be intimately involved in LifeLog. Schrobe had previously worked for DARPA on the evolutionary design of complex software before becoming associate director of the AI lab at MIT and has devoted his lengthy career to building cognitive-style AI. In the years after LifeLog was canceled, he again worked for DARPA, as well as on intelligence community-related AI research projects. In addition, the AI lab at MIT was intimately connected with the 1980s corporation and DARPA contractor called Thinking Machines which was founded by and or employed many of the lab's luminaries, including Danny Hillis, Marvin Minsky, and Eric Lander, and sought to build AI supercomputers capable of human-like thought. All three of these individuals were later revealed to be close associates of and or sponsored by the intelligence-linked pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, who also generously donated to MIT as an institution and was a leading funder and advocate for transhumanist-related scientific research. Soon after the LifeLog program was shuttered, critics worried that, like TIA, it would continue under a different name. For example, Lee Tian of the Electronic Frontier Foundation told Vice at the time of LifeLog's cancellation, It would not surprise me to learn that the government continued to fund research that pushed this area forward without calling it LifeLog. Along with its critics, one of the would-be researchers working on LifeLog, MIT's David Carger, was also certain that the DARPA project would continue in a repackaged form. He told Wired that, I am sure such research will continue to be funded under some other title. I can't imagine DARPA dropping out of such a key research area. The answer to these speculations appears to lie with the company that launched the exact same day that LifeLog was shuttered by the Pentagon, Facebook. After considerable controversy and criticism in late 2003, TIA was shut down and defunded by Congress just months after it was launched. It was only later revealed that the TIA was never actually shut down, with its various programs having been covertly divided up among the web of military and intelligence agencies that make up the U.S. national security state. Some of it was privatized. The same month that TIA was pressured to change its name after growing backlash, Peter Thiel incorporated Palantir, which was incidentally developing the core Panopticon software that TIA had hoped to wield. Soon after Palantir's incorporation in 2003, Richard Pearl, a notorious neoconservative from the Reagan and Bush administrations and an architect of the Iraq War, called TIA's Poindexter and said he wanted to introduce him to Thiel and his associate Alex Karp, now Palantir's CEO. According to a report in New York Magazine, Poindexter was precisely the person whom Thiel and Karp wanted to meet, mainly because their new company was similar in ambition to what Poindexter had tried to create at the Pentagon, that is, TIA. During that meeting, Thiel and Karp sought to pick the brain of the man now widely viewed as the godfather of modern surveillance. Soon after Palantir's incorporation, Though the exact timing and details of the investment remain hidden from the public, the CIA's NQTEL became the company's first backer, aside from Thiel himself, giving it an estimated $2 million. NQTEL's stake in Palantir would not be publicly reported until mid-2006. The money was certainly useful. In addition, Alex Karp told the New York Times in October 2020, the real value of the NQTEL investment 
was that it gave Palantir access to the CIA analysts who were its intended clients. A key figure in the making of NQTEL investments during this period, including the investment in Palantir, was the CIA's chief information officer, Alan Wade, who had been the intelligence community's point man for total information awareness. Wade had previously co-founded the post-9-11 homeland security software contractor, Chiliad, alongside Christine Maxwell, sister of Ghislaine Maxwell, and daughter of Iran-Contra figure, intelligence operative, and media baron, Robert Maxwell. After the NQTEL investment, the CIA would be Palantir's only client until 2008. During that period, Palantir's two top engineers, Aki Jane and Stephen Cohen, traveled to CIA headquarters at Langley, Virginia, every two weeks. Jane recalls making at least 200 trips to CIA headquarters between 2005 and 2009. During those regular visits, CIA analysts would test Palantir's software out and offer feedback, and then Cohen and Jane would fly back to California to tweak it. As with NQTEL's decision to invest in Palantir, the CIA's chief information officer during this time remained one of TIA's architects. Alan Wade played a key role in many of these meetings and subsequently in the tweaking of Palantir's products. Today, Palantir's products are used for mass surveillance, predictive policing, and other disconcerting policies of the U.S. national security state. A telling example is Palantir's sizable involvement in the new health and human services-run wastewater surveillance program that is quietly spreading across the United States. That system is the resurrection of a TIA program called biosurveillance. It is feeding all its data into the Palantir-managed and secretive HHS Protect Data platform. The decision to turn controversial data-led programs into a private venture, however, was not limited to Teal's Palantir. The shuttering of TIA at DARPA had an impact on several related programs, which were also dismantled in the wake of public outrage over DARPA's post-9-11 programs. One of these programs was LifeLog. As news of the program spread through the media, many of the same vocal critics who had attacked TIA went after LifeLog with similar zeal with Stephen Aftergood of the Federation of American Scientists telling Wired at the time that LifeLog has the potential to become something like TIA cubed. LifeLog being viewed as something that would prove even worse than the recently canceled TIA had a clear effect on DARPA, which had just seen both TIA and another related program canceled after considerable backlash from the public and the press. The firestorm of criticism of LifeLog took its program manager, Doug Gage, by surprise. And Gage has continued to assert that the program's critics completely mischaracterized the goals and ambitions of the project. Despite Gage's protests and those of LifeLog's would-be researchers and other supporters, the project was publicly nixed on February 4, 2004. DARPA never provided an explanation for its quiet move to shutter LifeLog with a spokesperson stating only that it was related to a change in priorities for the agency. On DARPA director Tony Tether's decision to kill LifeLog, Gage later told Vice, I think he had been burnt so badly with TIA that he didn't want to deal with any further controversy with LifeLog. The death of LifeLog was collateral damage tied to the death of TIA. Fortuitously for those supporting the goals and ambitions of LifeLog, a company that turned out to be its private sector analog, was born on the same day that LifeLog's cancellation was announced. On February 4, 2004, what is now the world's largest social network, Facebook, launched its website and quickly rose to the top of the social media roost, leaving other social media companies of the era in the dust. A few months into Facebook's launch in June 2004, Facebook co-founders Mark Zuckerberg and Dustin Moskovitz brought Sean Parker into Facebook's executive team. Parker, previously known for co-founding Napster, 
later connected Facebook with its first outside investor, Peter Thiel. As discussed, Thiel at that time, in coordination with the CIA, was actively trying to resurrect controversial DARPA programs that had been dismantled the previous year. Notably, Sean Parker, who became Facebook's first president, also had a history with the CIA, which recruited him at the age of 16, soon after he had been busted by the FBI for hacking corporate and military databases. Thanks to Parker, in September 2004, Thiel formally acquired $500,000 worth of Facebook shares and was added to its board. Parker maintained close ties to Facebook as well as to Thiel, with Parker being hired as a managing partner of Thiel's Founders Fund in 2006. Thiel and Facebook co-founder Moskowitz became involved outside of the social network long after Facebook's rise to prominence with Thiel's founder fund becoming a significant investor in Moskowitz's company, Sana, in 2012. Thiel's long-standing symbiotic relationship with Facebook co-founders extends to his company Palantir, as the data that Facebook users make public invariably winds up in Palantir's databases and helps drive the surveillance engine Palantir runs for a handful of U.S. police departments, the military, in the intelligence community. In the case of the Facebook Cambridge Analytica data scandal, Palantir was also involved in utilizing Facebook data to benefit the 2016 Donald Trump presidential campaign. Today, arrests such as that of Daniel Baker have indicated Facebook data is slated to help power the coming war on domestic terror, given that information shared on the platform is being used in pre-crime capture of U.S. citizens domestically. In light of this, it is worth dwelling on the point that Thiel's exertions to resurrect the main aspects of TIA as his own private company coincided with his becoming the first outside investor in what was essentially the analog of another DARPA program deeply intertwined with the TIA. Because of the coincidence that Facebook launched the same day that LifeLog was shut down, there has been recent speculation that Zuckerberg began and launched the project with Moskowitz, Saverin, and others through some sort of behind-the-scenes coordination with DARPA or another organ of the national security state. While there is no direct evidence for this precise claim, the early involvement of Parker and Thiel in the project, particularly given the timing of Thiel's other activities, reveals that the national security state was involved in Facebook's rise. It is debatable whether Facebook was intended from its inception to be a lifelog analog, or if it happened to be the social media project that fit the bill after its launch. The latter seems more likely, especially considering that Thiel also invested in another early social media platform, Friendster. An important point leaking Facebook and lifelog is the subsequent identification of Facebook with LifeLog by the latter's DARPA architect himself. In 2015, Gage told Vice that Facebook is the real face of pseudo-LifeLog at this point. He tellingly added, We have ended up providing the same kind of detailed personal information to advertisers and data brokers and without arousing the kind of opposition that LifeLog provoked. Users of Facebook and other large social media platforms have so far been content to allow these platforms to sell their private data so long as they publicly operate as private enterprises. Backlash only really emerged when such activities were publicly tied to the U.S. government, and especially the U.S. military. Even though Facebook and other tech giants routinely share their users' data with the national security state, in practice, there is little difference between the public and private entities. Edward Snowden, the NSA whistleblower, notably warned in 2019 that Facebook is just as untrustworthy as U.S. intelligence, stating that Facebook's internal purpose, whether they state it publicly or not, is to compile perfect records of private lives to the maximum extent of their capability and then exploit that for their own corporate enrichment and damn the consequences. Snowden also stated in the same interview that the more Google knows about you, the more Facebook knows about you.
the more they are able to create permanent records of private lives, the more influence and power they have over us. This underscores how both Facebook and intelligence-linked Google have accomplished much of what LifeLog had aimed to do, but on a much larger scale than what DARPA had originally envisioned. The reality is that most of the large Silicon Valley companies of today have been closely linked to the U.S. national security state establishment since their inception. Notable examples, aside from Facebook and Palantir, include Google and Oracle. Today, these companies are more openly collaborating with the military intelligence agencies that guided their development and or provided early funding, as they are used to provide the data needed to fuel the newly announced war on domestic terror and its accompanying algorithms. It is hardly a coincidence that someone like Peter Thiel, who built Palantir with the CIA and helped ensure Facebook's rise, is also heavily involved in big data AI-driven predictive policing approaches to surveillance and law enforcement, both through Palantir and through his other investments. TIA, LifeLog, and related government and private programs and institutions launched after 9-11 were always intended to be used against the American public in a war against dissent. This was noted by their critics in 2003 and 4 and by those who have examined the origins of the Homeland Security pivot in the U.S. and its connection to past CIA counter-terror programs in Vietnam and Latin America. Ultimately, the illusion of Facebook and related companies as being independent of the U.S. national security state has prevented a recognition of the reality of social media platforms and their long-intended yet covert uses which we are beginning to see move into the open. Now, with billions of people conditioned to use Facebook and social media as part of their daily lives, the question becomes, if that illusion were to be irrevocably shattered today, would it make a difference to Facebook's users? Or has the populace become so conditioned to surrendering their private data in exchange for dopamine-fueled social validation loops that it no longer matters who ends up holding that data? Mm -hmm.